Hello, welcome to Get Well Sooner, the podcast where a mentally ill artist takes a look at the wellness industry and spirituality in general and asks some questions. That's not the official tagline. I'm just I'm just trying stuff out. I feel like maybe the official tagline should be like, or the official welcome should be like, uh, welcome to Get Well Sooner, a podcast that my therapist made me make. I don't know. You can tell me what you think the, the intro should be, um, but whatever. My name's Sarah, and I'm really excited to share this episode with you because it features one of my best friends, one of my oldest friends, Paul. Um, and Paul is a journalist, um, music lover, amazing guy, um, who spent most of his life living as a Mormon. And I've known him for 15 years. So a lot of that time, um, a lot of the time that I knew him, he was a practicing Mormon. And he didn't tell me a lot about it, which honestly, thank God, right? But now that he's out, oh, spoiler, also, he's out now. <laughs> uh, and uh, he has so many fascinating things to say. And like, I just am so grateful that I know him and that he feels comfortable telling me all this stuff and that he's now feeling comfortable sharing some of it with folks like you because this stuff is, I think it's really important. So I'll just back it up and go back to when I met Paul. So I met Paul when I was like 16 or something, and my best friend worked at a grocery store, and Paul also worked at the grocery store. He had gone to our high school, but he was graduated, um, and he just... I don't even know. He just, he was just there. He just started coming over to um to I want to say our house, to her house, and he was he he loved our music cuz we we made music. We were a band. And he was just like just became an amazing friend and you might be like, "Who is this 23-year-old who's hanging out with these 16-year-olds?" No, that that's not. He was probably was he 23? I don't know. I can't remember the age difference between us. Not that big, but um, he was gradu- He had graduated and he'd already been to Madagascar on a Mormon mission and had come back. Um, and he became our friend. And so he said to me recently, he's like, I think I felt more comfortable with, you know, with high school students because my Mormonism was blocking me from a lot of adult experiences. So I couldn't relate with 
a lot of young adults at all. I was much more on, you know, the same speed as you. And I, I definitely, I just thought at the time I was like, what a super cool, awesome guy. And, um, we, we also hung out with my best friend's older sister a lot. So I think they were maybe around the same age. Um, and Paul's one of the people who's stuck around. And for me, that, that means a lot because when you have a mental illness, you lose a lot of friends, especially like bipolar disorder. People really struggle to deal with it. And I def, for example, most of the other people who would have been in that household at, you know, hanging out with me at that time, I no longer speak to. But Paul has always been there. And, and that, I just, I'm so glad. <laughs> uh, and I feel like he's just one of my favorite people. Um, I feel very, like, calmed by his presence. Uh, and it's really interesting that for so long, he had this entire giant part of himself that he didn't really share with me or with any of our friends um, because it's it was such a massive part of his life and it still is. Um, when you're born into a religion like Mormonism, I mean, it's it's one of those religions that that some people call a cult and it definitely takes over a lot of your life. So I really appreciate that he never tried to force it on me. Um, unlike some of the friends that, you know, some of the other friends that we had, I guess there must have been a Mormon church in the place where I grew up, the the city, because I happen to know quite a few Mormons. I, I guess there was, there was a band, because um, I was in the music scene and there was a band that was popular that where it was made up of a bunch of Mormon guys. And so I hung out with those those guys as well. And I just ended up knowing a whole bunch of Mormon people. And yeah, a lot of them gave off really weird vibes. I remember one guy refused to like hug me because I was a woman. I know that another guy was actively trying to convert one of my friends, so she was carrying the Book of Mormon around with her. Um, but Paul was just Paul. So he was less less weird. <laughs> less weird than that. He was only weird in a good way. Uh, he... He was like, yeah, we, we, we always, we called him our band manager um, and he would put on like a New Zealand accent and be like Murray from Flight of the Concords. And by the time he was no longer, you know, believing in Mormonism, I, I feel like he, he didn't tell me at first. And so here's how I found out. There was this this girl who had a video that was pa being passed around on Facebook and it was pretty well done. Like it was quite funny. Um, and it was like a help, please find me a husband video. But like, it was almost like if Tina Fey had made it, like, cause it, 
was around the time that like 30 Rock was on and that kind of stuff was that kind of humor was really big and it, it was so weird whereas like I would have thought it was a joke but at the very end um she said like bonus if he believes in the church of the latter-day saints but not necessary and as soon as I heard oh she's Mormon this is real and this video offered a cash prize if you could help this woman find a husband. Um, now that I know more about Mormonism, it's extremely sad. Um, but she was, she was like, don't you know how you, you know, when you're 26 years old, everyone's like, why aren't you married yet? You're a lost cause. And I just thought at the time, like, what? No, I don't think people do that. I wasn't 26, but I was like, not, you know. Not that far off so like that's no way and her younger sister had made a similar video too like 24 23 oh wow old maids and so at the time i was in an indie band uh and the one thing about being a musician is that you need money and you don't make money um so you know i i was really you know, I wanted to record an album. I wanted to, you know, do all this stuff and it all required money. And so I thought, you know what, this girl seems really funny and nice. And if she ends up really liking my friend Paul and marrying him, then I'll get $2,000 or something like that. So like win, win, win. And so I messaged her and I was like, hi, I would like to enter my friend Paul in the contest. Um, and then I texted Paul and said, Paul, I'm so sorry. Um, I really need money. And I just entered you into a contest uh, for uh, to become this woman's husband. Um, and of course, because it's Mormonism, they already knew each other. They were like good friends or whatever. <laughs> and so the, the girl got back to me and she was like, um... You know, I already know Paul, but I have a big crush on him. So if you can get if you can get him to text me, you will be in the running and you will get your prize when it's Facebook official that we are together getting married. But then Paul messaged me back and was like, oh, you know, I'm really not feeling Mormonism right now. So that's kind of when I like found out that he was less he was less into it, but it was a very slow process for him as I think we'll get into. Um, and this concept that he told me about and that I've I've heard about from other people is, um, especially when you're born into a belief, it takes a very long time to unbelieve it. Um, and there's a concept called the shelf. And the shelf is just like when you put something to the side that you can't explain or that something or maybe it's something that goes you know against it's it doesn't make sense cognitive dissonance that kind of stuff and so when you have a belief system that you believe to be 100% true and then you come across something that isn't awesome about it or just doesn't make sense or clashes or you know it's hypocritical you put it on your shelf and you're like, oh, you know, I'll figure that out later. I'm not meant to know that right now, whatever. God's going to tell me about it later. 
And then eventually the shelf breaks. Now, I want to say, if you're someone who does believe in like God or any sort of religion, um, organized or not, like I'm not against you in any way. I'm not like, uh, I in some ways admire you because I wish that I could believe in something, you know, nice like that if you know what I mean yeah and if you if you do believe in something like that and you probably you're probably like oh I wish I could give Sarah that you know belief and and we could be uh friends forever in heaven or and whatever you know like we could you know the devil wouldn't get to her whatever your belief system is and like I just I get it that it would be nice to be able to just decide to believe something but I'm pretty sure that that's just not how it works um at least not for me and then also it's true that you can't just decide to not believe in something either so there has to be that there has to be these these moments many moments when you are being challenged um and you come up with either an explanation that makes you feel okay or you have to come up with a brand new look on life and it's chill if you have been challenged and you're like yeah that doesn't really make sense but I still believe this and I, I can't explain everything because no one can explain everything like my number one belief is that I like don't know much and the humans don't really know much um you know and that the things lots of things are a mystery like space in our brain and the deep seas I don't know uh like yeah so I definitely don't want to come across as somebody who knows that knows stuff I don't um and I don't feel like I know more than religious people I just think that I have the I've I've come across these different questions and because of my circumstances and the way I was raised I have decided like the or I we said it's not really a decision. I just didn't, I just didn't believe the things. Um, and I, and as I got older and more things happened, especially to do with my mental health, I would believe in more things and then less things. But I think I always just have like a really big skeptic inside of me at all times. So, you know, I'm doubtful very doubtful but hopefully not too judgmental um so keep that in mind as you listen to this episode where you know we definitely talk about being atheists and you know not believing in anything it's not saying that it's bad to believe in things it's really not it's just that we don't <laughs> but hopefully that doesn't mean that you know, we can't be friends with other people who do believe in stuff, especially stuff that it isn't harmful to other people. Like that's, that's cool. It's cool if you believe in something different. Um, so this is, this is Paul. Uh, I hope that you enjoy this and I'll see you on the other side. Like of the podcast, not, a, not, not a, like, in heaven.
in the podcast. I can't remember if I'm smart. It's been so yeah, long so since my I plan for you is that you'll be a regular guest because you have so <laughs> by the way, you're gonna be a regular guest on this show because you have so much um experience with so I have a lot of experience with the wellness industry and the hippie dippy stuff, but I don't have a lot of experience with religion, whereas you do, because you were Mormon for like a super long time. <laughs> Until I was uh twenty-nine. Yeah born into it yeah so that that's something that i just can't i I, it can't happen for me i can't can't experience that nor do i want to to be honest so i i really appreciate your perspective on what it's like to kind of be in a religion and believe things and then lose the belief of things um and like we can look at it from a bunch of different ways like mental health wise there's a lot going on i think with religion and mental health like so much so we can bring that into it but um i think that so today i wanted to talk about the shelf which is a term that I learned from the podcast Ona Ross and Carrie, I believe. Um, but not me. No, <laughs> I knew it before. I knew it before you said it to me, which is like why we're such good friends. Okay, okay. <laughs> and like, I'm just fascinated and with all of this stuff, even though I don't uh, have personal personal experiences with it. So, uh, do you want to like give a little tiny explanation of what? the shelf is it like not specifically to do with Mormonism, but just yeah. Uh, Generally speaking, it's when you hold some belief or, you know, something you take to be knowledge. uh, And as you uh, come across criticism, as you come across things that challenge that, uh, that you can't come up with a reasonable or maybe good enough answer for yourself. A lot of this stays internal because mm-hmm. depending on the group you're in or the belief you have, it's it's bad to admit mm-hmm. doubt and things. So you take these things that you can't explain. And it, it, within Mormonism, it's usually attributed to like, well, we will find that out in the afterlife. Yeah. You know, God works in mysterious God ways. In so mysterious you take that ways. thing. And you put it to the side or you put it on a shelf. But the problem is, if you load up any given shelf with too much weight, it'll eventually break. Yeah. So that's sort of, I think if that makes that's sense. That's it. Yeah, that makes sense. Because so, you know, putting stuff on the shelf, I think, is really important for people to understand how other people come to stop believing in the thing that they believe, especially right now when we have so many people who are really, really into conspiracy theories and some of the conspiracy theories are like kind of dangerous for people's health. So, you know, a lot of people are like really frustrated and want want people to just stop believing the weird thing. Um, and other people also say, you know, you shouldn't talk to people about their beliefs and you shouldn't bring it up and you just live and let live. And and I kind of want to push back on that. I don't know. Maybe you agree with that. But yeah, uh, it's just it's just like, let's understand how people lose their faith and like how what what little things 
you could do if you were dealing with somebody who was um like in a belief system that you thought was like really unhealthy for them who yeah. that is something i'm still trying to figure out myself so yeah. i mean i'm happy to answer questions and give insight but i by no means am an expert on how to go about that no um, no no i mean yeah i thought sort of on some of what you're talking about is um yeah, there's there's a large chance of a backfire effect mm-hmm. uh, if you try to argue with somebody mm-hmm. over something that they hold to be true, uh, you know, especially if you're part of a community where there are people that back you up in your beliefs and you've been told mm-hmm. uh, that people are going to misrepresent things or whatever. It's funny, I, I keep thinking back to this moment. I have for a long time. It's sort of been on my mind again lately. Um, in high school, I, I had some questions about Mormonism. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm coming from. So from yeah, personal yeah, experience. Yeah. Um, and there was one friend of mine. We weren't super close friends. We'd hang out once in a while. It was more like he was friends with friends of mine. One of those sort of like, yeah, not one of your best friends, mm-hmm. but like spent a decent amount of time with this guy. And he was, I want to say Anglican, some kind of sort of Protestant Christian roots and had taken some classes at his church uh, about, you know, how to stay away from these fake versions of Christianity, which Mormonism fell into. Um, So he was always trying to sort of save me in his own Uh, way. And I'm not, not telling this to like shame this guy. I'm not going to identify him. No. Uh, He, if he happened to listen to this, which he won't, uh, it's not to do that, but it was interesting to me. Like he was trying to help me out and I appreciate that in its own way. He would have liked me to become a different type of Christianity, yeah. but now I would probably also question as much as yeah. the one I left. But his whole thing was he would bring these things to me that he had learned. Did you know this about Joseph Smith? Did you know yeah. this about Brigham Young? And a lot of times I'd be like, I don't think that's true. Or uh, maybe sometimes I look into this. And he had brought to me at one point the story of, again, this could be like so many different podcasts, but the White Salamander story. If anyone has Netflix and they yeah. saw the Murder Among the Mormons, which I still haven't seen. Oh, yeah. But I know about it. I know about that whole story. And I've listened to interviews that uh, John, not John, he- is John Heater? That's the, the actor. That's the actor. <laughs> the actor from Napoleon Dynamite. Napoleon Dynamite. So it was the the director and writer, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jared Hess. Jared yeah, Hess. Yeah, yeah, I've listened yeah. to interviews he's done about it. So oh, I kind of know yeah, what's yeah. going yeah. on. Yeah. But see, there's similar funny Mormon guys. Anyway, yeah. uh, I'm not sure where he is on Mormonism. But anyway, he did the story about these fake documents. One of them was like a story. This guy forged a document about a white salamander Joseph Smith talked to. It was like his spirit guide. He mm-hmm. sold it to the leaders of the Mormon church. They later found out it wasn't real. So this guy brought this story to me. I've gone on this weird sidetrack right no, now. It's good. But anyway, <laughs> he brings the story to me. I do the research. I found out, oh, that was a fake document. Yeah. So now anything he tells me is not true. And yeah. I do believe I probably stayed in the church an extra at least two or three years, <laughs> partly because that gave me confidence as a teenager that, oh, these people that tell me things I don't like about my set of beliefs, my organization of religion I go to, yeah, they're not telling the truth because I looked into this one and it was a blatant lie and it's you know public that this isn't true and he yeah. was using that material. So it does bother me when people like try to convince people uh, of the fault of their ways with poorly researched yeah. inaccurate information because then it's the backfire of like, 
I was in it that much deeper. So that mm-hmm. was a roundabout way. You can try and trim that down. Or no, cut no. It that makes a lot of sense because I think like that. Okay. So I think, let me know if I'm wrong, but you, when you're in a belief system, especially one as intense as Mormonism, you're going to be given a lot of like, okay, people might say this and that, and here's the, how this is wrong yeah people might say this but here's how we explain this they like might already like have pre explanation for you i mean the salamander letter one i mean that's special but yeah, yeah i was super into mormonism from a young age yeah it is really interesting i'm still into it it's really interesting because now not having that sort of veil of what I am and I'm not allowed to, which mm-hmm. again, we could get into Stephen Hassan's bite model about mm-hmm. what makes a religion exactly. a cult versus high demand versus yeah, standard, exactly. but the way they control the information you're allowed to, uh, you know, I'm still being good standing access. Yeah. You were like, I would like access to the forbidden section of the <laughs> library, please. <laughs> sure. Let's throw in some Harry Potter. References. Yeah. Just like, yeah, I want the books that scream when they open. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I've gotten into those books definitely as time's gone on, but it's, it's tricky. Um, and I, it's one of these things where, you told me just sort of the shelf theme. You didn't give me a whole lot else to work Mm-mm. with. And simultaneous, I want to go, yes, there's hope. I left this. Yeah. What I think now is potentially a very dangerous organization for mm-hmm. a lot of people. I think it works for certain people, but very mm-hmm. specific people. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work for you, it can be very dangerous and yep. very damaging mm-hmm. potentially to you on many different levels. Mm-hmm. I'm out, but it did take me until I was 29 and I was... I can see now questioning in ways from a very young age, mm-hmm. but I was able to put it on the shelf. It did take a good 10, 20 yeah. years, really, of putting things putting, on that shelf yeah, and becoming shelf. someone who was really into That's part of it, really. The more I the dove more in, curious you are. the more I learned about it, the more difficulty I had uh, yeah. swallowing it and accepting the things I didn't like. In the end, it wasn't even all these, like, inaccurate things, though. It was more, like, feelings. And a lot of Mormonism is about feelings. It's like, I know it's true because I feel it's Mm -hmm. true. I knew it wasn't true because I felt it wasn't true. And then I backed that Mm -hmm. up with evidence. Yeah. But that mindset was so ingrained into me that at the end, it was just like, it was more, I didn't like how they treated LGBTQ people. I didn't like the history of racism in regards to excluding uh, black folks from uh-huh. holding the Mormon priesthood and being able to enter the Mormon temple, yeah. which also equates to like reaching the highest level of the highest level of heaven. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a lot of like, and I understand that you can explain away a lot of this, especially if you're born into it. Yeah. Yeah. Would love to talk to someone who converted <laughs> as an adult and then even left. the conversations I've had since leaving with my own mom, who, you know, part of the reason I haven't been too public about it is I know it's something she still holds dear. Yeah. She joined the Mormon church as a 19 year old. And I think her understanding and, you know, the functionality of the religion is much different than mine. Mm-hmm. I had to sort of leave to realize this because it is different if you're coming in and seeing benefits yeah. and using it to help you in life as opposed to growing up in it where it you just is. The lore mm-hmm. is. You're mm-hmm. born into the Star Wars universe. Yeah. And, you know, the, the force is real and there's totally. no 
segmenting it or as you do, it becomes more of an issue because it's not just helpful stories. No, I don't think she would frame it that way. But I think a lot of Mormons, if they were to explain it to someone on the outside, they'd be like, okay, this is a very functional, you accept sort of yeah, yeah. Anyone that follows any religion, especially Mormonism, I've learned sort of holds their own version of that religion. And when they actually start delving into deeper stuff, it's oh, yeah. all a different faith or understanding yeah. of said faith. Well, I mean, also, so helpful stories. Um, I mean, I think that things can be like, if you are able to pick and choose the stories, you can be like, this is helpful, this isn't helpful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe, I don't know if this is true, but maybe if you're born into it and so therefore it's like, you don't have any part of you that's like, no, this is wrong. Because you're like, this is my whole world. Whereas may you could you you have a hard time ignoring the stories that are not helpful. Whereas maybe if you joined it because you found certain things helpful, you just focus on those yep. things and you yep. don't you're not like, oh, what about this one story that makes me feel bad? You're just like, I'm not gonna think about that. Like, okay, so the there's a, there's something that I was wondering about in terms of like privilege and like I guess we'll have to talk to people from different economic backgrounds you came from like a family that wasn't super well off but like a lot of the time when I uh, when I say oh religion is such a big problem like it's actually causing a lot of problems people are like but it really helps people especially poor people to and and I'm just like how? How is it helping poor people? Like, I, I don't understand. And maybe like, I don't know. I don't understand. <sighs> yeah, that is, that's a, that could be a series we do. Um, yeah. The challenges of poverty in relation to religion and society yeah. in general. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a weird thing. We did experience a lot of kindness. Like my family was mm -hmm. uh, on welfare for a lot of my life growing up. We had to live with, you know, one of my grandmothers for a good chunk of my childhood because my parents were just struggling to pay the bills. My dad had a lot of health problems, mm -hmm. wasn't supposed to really survive past his 20s or 30s, had a brain tumor when he was younger. The yeah. fact that he had three kids before he really started going downhill health-wise was, you know, miraculous in its own right in yeah. some ways, depending on your use of the word yeah. and stuff. But um, yeah, there was a lot of kindness. It was good. There were a lot of father figures that were able to step in when mm -hmm. my dad wasn't able to do that type of thing. A lot of, uh, there is like a welfare program within the church where you can get money, mm -hmm. all sorts of kindness, you know, Christmas time, Christmas hampers dropped mm -hmm. off. Um, if you need help paying certain bills, the church will help you with certain things mm -hmm. like that. They still demand you pay your 10% of whatever you have, mm -hmm. which when you don't have a lot of money, you probably are getting more out of it. Um, yeah. theoretically, there are people that get the rent paid for, I know, and mm -hmm. other bills covered. Um, but there is a weird thing where there's a lot of people that probably pay about the amount in tithing that they need to make ends oh, meet. Yeah. So you're really just routing that money through an organization. And then you become dependent on then it. Then you feel grateful to the organization for giving you back what mm -hmm. you gave to them in the first. I'm not saying that's, there are definitely people mm -hmm. that get more financially out of the organization than they put into it. But there are, I think, quite a few mm -hmm. people who are just adding an extra circuit in that whole loop of their finances 
that ingratiates them to the organization. Uh, You know, it gives them feedback like, oh, I needed help and the church gave me just enough or Mm -hmm. I got just enough to get by where it is. It ends up being over 10% if you're really being honest. It's supposed to be 10% of your, what is it, gross before tax income. Oh, yeah. Then you're also supposed to fast at least one day a month and the money you'd spend on those meals goes in. And they always call it a generous offering and a generous tithe. So a lot of people throw an extra little bit on top of that. Um, And it's a flat rate. So if you're the Marriott family, if you're a Romney, you're paying the same rate on your taxes as the folks I was teaching. I I served a Mormon mission in Madagascar. That broke me quite a bit. And still to this day, hurts me when I think about it, teaching folks who were, when we talk about barely getting by, like really barely getting by living in a one, maybe two room, what we would call a a shack in North America, like a shed Mm -hmm. with a bunch of kids Mm -hmm. and telling them, okay, well you can't work Sundays anymore because that's the Lord's day. Uh, No, you can barely. And you're gonna have to pay 10%. And I found, generally speaking, the welfare efforts there were less than they were here because this, what I was hearing is there was a concern of, well, if we just start giving everybody food, they're just going to join the church to get food and money, uh, which would be the worst thing in the world for dude. an organization that we know is worth at least a couple hundred billion dollars now. They're one of the richest religious yeah. organizations in the world. And um, like, maybe God wants them to join the church so they, they can get food. Maybe that's what can God Can you imagine? Wants. Like, like, yeah. That, that like, seems on par with what Jesus was, was putting yeah, out there yeah, for the most like, part. Of, help people. Help like, I, people. I can understand stocking some money away to a certain extent, but it is, Ugh, yeah. as things have been leaking in recent years, uh, mm-hmm. there was an investment fund that was whatever, when that leaked five or six years ago, it feels like now, maybe not quite that long ago, but it was $150 billion or so. Um, stock market's done overall pretty well since then. So, yeah, yeah, and that was just one investment fund, and the only money they'd ever pulled out was to help fund the big shopping mall in downtown Salt Lake and oh to God. bail out an insurance company that what? the church owned. What? Uh, yeah. So you know, after seeing what I saw, it's funny. I served yeah. the mission. It definitely that's as close as you get to true like cult living within Mormonism because oh, yeah. they control everything you do. I came out of that pretty indoctrinated dedicated and everything but at the same time i think it planted a lot of things that didn't Mm. grow and sprout until 10 years later seeing that degree of poverty and the organization and again lots of good people within that Mm -hmm. structure the the guy i had that ran the mission i think is still a really as far as guys go who can Mm -hmm. be mission presidents or mormon leaders like I posted some like BLM stuff a couple of years ago. I remember mm-hmm. 2020 and he was liking my posts and I saw him on his own wall arguing in favor of, you know, certain human rights things yeah. with other Mormons, like guys that were missionaries, yeah. the same level as me. And he was one of their leaders. Uh, I think he is like a good one, but like yeah. even some of the things he taught, he was getting from the people above him. I remember him telling us to use guile in a positive way. <laughs> to convince people Uh, if the devil can use guile why not us and i don't think that was him i think he heard that from the next level up and got excited about it because that's what you do in mormonism and he passed it on to us and even that to me was like why would you want to use the same stuff as the devil 
you know, they presented it not as like a deceptive thing, but it was definitely about like salesmanship, essentially. Which yeah, salesmanship. Yeah, yeah. A which lot of Mormonism. We've talked about doing another episode about the MLM. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort we'll, of nature we'll of Mormonism there. in Utah. We'll get there. So when you were in Africa, you when you were in Madagascar, you said that it it indoctrinated you further. You were super isolated, right? Yeah. Yeah. One of the cities, there were literally four of us like young missionaries representing mm-hmm. the church and we were 300 kilometers from anyone else as far as like mission organization. Mm-hmm. And we had one little congregation we worked with. Yeah. Uh, but some guys use that. I heard allegedly, and I've heard from other countries after uh, to, you know, they'd let loose and do whatever they wanted. But those of us who were sent there were usually the really reliable, yeah. intense yeah. Although I wasn't, I don't know if I'd label myself one of the intense ones, but I was, I think I gave off the vibe of like, I was dedicated, but I was more yeah. compassionate than some of the intense yeah. guys I worked with. But yeah, we want to talk about isolation and 300 kilometers there was like a minimum nine hour drive because the roads are a little sketchy. So right. we were out there on our own. Other people speaking a different language and living in a different culture and you're trying to sell them something. So... Yeah. Did you like, did you have friends though that, that you made there? I absolutely made friends. I've been afraid to, it's sad. Uh, I know some of them have left Mormonism. I feel like some of them stopped talking to me because it's this whole thing that if you leave the church, uh, there is a separate, it's not as bad as what I've heard about, say Scientologists or even Jehovah's Witnesses where there's a degree of, Shut hard shunning. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a soft shun, mm. and there's the whole thing of there's like a shame because you mm-hmm. know the value, you know what it means to you if you're even in for a little mm-hmm. while. I think in Mormonism, I know some people that were only Mormons for a few years, yeah, but they still they got that yeah. like it means everything. There's a talk I think of one of the top Mormon leaders, he's still alive now, and they showed it to us repeatedly when we were at like the missionary training center in Utah mm-hmm. before we went to Madagascar. And, my mission meant everything to yeah. me. Uh, the church, the mission, like it is everything. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I do. I still, to the, I try to be cautious. I've talked to some people. Usually I wait for it to sort of need to come up. Yeah. I've thought about posting many times sort of like an explanation in both languages because mm. I feel so guilty that some people are in this because of me. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, even after I left my friends here, I find they treat you even, they're not necessarily shunning you, but like they're afraid of catching it from you. Yeah. I went out with a few friends about six months, maybe a little more after I left and it went really well that night. I think I might've told you this story. Um, and they're really good people. Uh, but one of them the next morning after this night of like, you know, hanging out, mm-hmm. went for dinner. I didn't have a, I don't think I was drinking at that point because mm-hmm. dr- drinking is a big note. I didn't want to make them uncomfortable. Yeah. But I don't think I was even drinking like coffee at that time. Yeah. I followed the rules for a good couple years after right. leaving. Um, but anyway, the next day I was getting this sort of string of texts that were like, hey, I know you said you've you know stepped back from the church, but if you want to come back, I know that's hard to do. I'll be right there with you every step of the Ooh. way. And it was this invitation. And I was just like, especially at that time, I felt like I needed an arm's length because I was afraid of falling back into it because right. it means so much to you. And there are people that go and sort of they're there physically, but not necessarily their heart. Yeah. I didn't want to do that if it wasn't what I really wanted to do myself. And I knew yeah. I was vulnerable. So I had to kind of 
Yeah. Shut down that friendship um, yeah. to an extent just because they didn't want to catch it from me. I didn't want to catch their thing from them. Yeah. Like, that's, talking about yeah, contagious that's, things the last couple of years. Yeah. That's so interesting. And so like when you, so when you were uh, in Madagascar and you had all these experiences that indoctrinated you further, were like, what were the main things that you had to put on the shelf there that eventually like 10 years later or whatever, however long later would be one of many, many things that you had got on the, you had a really sturdy shelf. I know. Yeah. I mean, you knew me back then. Yeah. So you could probably tell me more than I could in some ways about, I have been told like I was definitely gave off a vibe of being into it, but I wasn't always trying to sell. I had a lot of not Mormon friends. Yeah. You're great. So I feel like, thank God I wasn't that type of person, which I know exists. Um, Mm -hmm. But, uh, okay. Sorry, what was the question again? Well, I'm going to say what in specifically in Madagascar, what are the things that you had to add to the shelf? I mean, I already mentioned one of the things that really bothered me was like the civil rights issues. Um, I knew a little bit about up until 1978, Um, black people were not allowed to be ordained to the Mormon priesthood, which is even a bigger deal when you find out like every man over the age of 12, if he's following the rules is a member of the Mormon priesthood. So basically it's like, you're not allowed to join. You're not allowed to be a full fledged Mm -hmm. member. You could be baptized, but you couldn't hold the priesthood. Um, and they couldn't go to the temple, which like how you know you're going to the top level of Mormon heaven is if you're going to the temple, you have the card, you have to have a card that you oh. interview for. I think it's two years now. It used to be one year where you have to answer certain questions oh the right gosh. way. Um, that's how you know you're going to heaven. If you're following all the rules, you have your card, you go to the temple. Yeah. And black people were not allowed to do that. Yeah, that's awful. Women as well. It didn't women have to do did, with the yeah. priesthood. Well, but No, because women were going to go... Uh, with their husbands yeah and so, clearly there's yeah. it's not okay to have uh interracial marriages uh, right in the 1970s yeah. like this was a big deal still and they made a big deal out of like they prayed and prayed and prayed for years and years and years and finally in 1978 the lord said okay uh, we can let this happen okay God. from an organization that claims to be led by prophets should be You'd think 20, 30 years ahead of the curve at the very least. Yeah. If they don't always do what's right. And now the church has released documents that they kind of hide on their website that sort of denounce like, oh, you know, leaders were people of their time. They were essentially racist and they admit to it. Um, But it's still a very touchy subject. So I knew a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. While I was in Madagascar, one of my brothers left the Mormon church. And Mm -hmm. that was one of the things he wrote about in a letter email. Oh. to me asking about how do I how am I okay with it oh that's so interesting and I'm in a uh, Madagascar uh, African nation teaching people who not that long before I was there I mean 20 plus years I guess you know, yeah. I'm not that old but uh, yeah uh, this would have been 2004 to 2006 I was there mm-hmm. you know teaching them this and just kind of putting that to the side like I I came to conclusions like, okay, you know, in the Old Testament, only the Levites, one specific section of the children of Israel could hold the priesthood. So, you know, there's a precedence for, I didn't like (laughs) it. There's a precedence for racism in the Bible, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, You know, uh, somebody had gifted me a book at some point uh, that was written by a guy who lived in Utah, Salt Lake City, 
was a, a black guy from Haiti originally, I believe. And he wrote this whole novel explaining sort of why it was okay. And he still had questions, but it was enough that like, I was like, okay, well, I don't want to question the experience of this mm-hmm. uh, African-American guy. He's way more, you know, I, this is not my place. Yeah. You're like, I don't know what to so do. So I was able to, and again, you were also 19. I was you know, 19, 20. Yeah. yeah. I left when I was 19, able to put this on the shelf and go, you know, this is something I'll understand more about later. Mm-hmm. I'm going to trust this. Uh, I think Lochner Higgins, the name of the author just yeah, came to yeah, me, yeah. something like that. I'm going to, you know, he's as good as any yeah. some of the leaders I met I did get to have like a one-on-one chat for a while with can't think of his first name but elder is the title they give to all these Mormon leaders mm-hmm. uh elder Satati who was from Kenya originally mm-hmm. and came to Madagascar to speak to us and he was at the time I think the only black like top 150 leader of the church oh yeah there may have been some others he was at least the only one from Africa I believe which is weird because I imagine there's lots of missions that go there. I don't know. Why. I mean, they probably didn't send a lot of missionaries there until the 80s, just based oh, on. Oh, right, right, right. I, and then you have to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time. Yeah. So uh, speaking with uh, guys like that, where I was able to like sort of compartmentalize, you know what? If he's OK with it, where is it my place? Yeah. Where at the same time, you know, for every story like his, there's probably a thousand more yeah. people like hold on. Yeah. (laughs) Let me explain my experience with this. Yeah. So anyway, stuff like that to me, it hurts to think back about. Yeah. Um, Still now, even in the ex Mormon community, I I hear people use like the blacks when they refer to like black people, which to me sounds horribly dated and insensitive and just like this weird sort of dehumanizing you know, yeah. referring to the whites and the blacks, like what year is this? Yeah. There's to like think so that many, I even sort of, yeah. even if I had a nuanced, a somewhat, I hope better way of putting this off in the past, I'm still like hurt to know that like I was in that sort of ballpark yeah. at least. Yeah. Uh, so that was a big one for me of something that mm-hmm. like I really had to set aside and not think about too much mm-hmm. because it bothered the heck out of me. And you like, you were actively like talking to people with dark skin yep. being like, yeah, this is going to be great for you. And maybe becoming friends with them. And like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. It's that's something that big shelf, you know, there's smaller things, you know, talk about like their use of the word guile when talking about trying to convince people to join yeah. the church. I was like, okay, well that's just some person who doesn't speak you know right i mean it's americans making the decisions i say they don't speak english well it's not that it's not their first language it's that they're you know someone who's using misusing the word yeah kind of what i was getting at kind of a weird phrasing but uh okay um yeah the finance situation i would have loved to see more More put into the communities the countries yeah the 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 illnesses that i saw kids dealing with i i was i think part of the reason i struggled early on especially with covid related anxiety was because i had been through an epidemic we had an outbreak of dengue fever i got it it was probably the sickest i've been in my life while i was there and while i had it at you know the prime of whatever I was 20 years old, then I lost like 20 pounds in a couple of weeks. I couldn't eat barely for a week. And there were stories of all sorts of people, mostly elderly folks and infants dying from it. And I don't know how much, you know, financially you can do to fix that, but when you're in that kind of climate and you don't see 
like tons of money getting dumped we gotta into, get like, people yeah we we, we ran a dental help. program where we taught kids to brush their teeth which i think was great yeah but it felt like it's like maybe we bring a dentist in here and do some surgery or like i mean get, they may have done doctor. that too but like it just felt like especially as i learned more about the church oh, finances yeah, yeah. where i was like right why weren't we doing more, more. of this yeah even just like to to help stop the spread of stuff and like just keep yeah, no. That's, so there's a lot of stuff yeah, yeah, that, like, yeah. to me is gross that I had to put on my shelf uh, when right. I think about just. Yeah, I, I, I'm working on right now trying not to be too hard on myself, not yeah, trying yeah. to fully let go of everything, but trying to find that sweet spot of like, we all yeah, are different yeah. people throughout lives. We all grow. Mm-hmm. We all change. It's better to have realized this and see it now oh, yeah. as opposed to not like. Even if I, like you know, I didn't have mormonism to tell me to be racist but absolutely i had racist this just things, the systematic you know? cultural like, stuff that and and yeah. like internalized sexism like even if i didn't have a church telling me that i should get married and have kids i still was like the most important thing in my mm-hmm. life is to find a man like mm-hmm. you know it's just it, and like and like oh yeah internalized homophobia like it's it, it and and which then sometimes it was externalized yeah. Yeah. to other people. Yeah, I had. Yeah. yeah, so it's just like, yeah, I I think that we all have these things where we're like, uh, that's you know, I um, if something feels off, like I'll put it to the side, and then you deal with it, and it's not, yeah, it's not like, I think, yeah, better to deal with it at some point than to never deal with it. But yeah. Well, and even, yeah, even in conversations like this, if, you know, it's the type of thing where if I've said anything that is wrong, offensive, somebody please tell me, (laughs) help me make corrections. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just having that kind of viewpoint as opposed to, I grew up with more of like, at least within the leadership ranks, you don't criticize the leadership. Mm -hmm. They don't apologize for anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, despite the fact repentance is one of the key sort of teachings of yeah. Christianity and Mormonism in general, they will never like admit and make amends for their past yeah. sins when it comes to racial things, LGBTQ treatment, whatever. Like, yeah. it's just like, we kind of brush it out and hope you forget. We used to talk about that. And mm-hmm. if the ex Mormons talk about it, well, they just can't let things go. We have, oh, yeah. but there's no That's need to make amends or corrections or, you know, you're like, Make efforts to correct. They're like we the fixed it by saying that God said, "Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you still talking about this?" Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and that is yeah. Okay. Anyway, I I feel like I had some others, but that is definitely Those when I them. think about missionary mm-hmm. age, that was a big one that weighed on me, and uh, yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. And like I, when I think about you going to Madagascar when you were nineteen. 19 and like getting super sick and also like not really having great, probably great supervision and stuff. If you were, there was four of you like, uh, for that one town I lived in for about six months. Like yeah. the rest of the time, at least at that point, it was almost all of the missionaries there were around the capital city because okay. it was still pretty new. Mm-hmm. I think 96, 98, somewhere around there. Oh. And so, you know, less than 10 years there'd been sort of that structure in place. And we were one of the smaller missions i think there's missions with like hundreds of guys and a lot of countries have multiple missions we were like one and we also had la reunion and mauritius Uh technically we had the comoros islands Mm. which is fun because that's a name that 
Joseph Smith probably stole for some of his stuff. There's uh-huh. a there's a Camorra in the Book of Mormon in the Camorros Islands, and there's a character named Moroni in the Book of Mormon, and the capital of the Camorros is Moroni. Uh-huh. Anyway, he's just like a big fan of that. Place. I'm an encyclopedia of yeah. They probably would have been in the types of books he liked reading about pirates when he was uh, like into yeah. treasure digging and stuff. Gosh, the the him and Elrond Hubbard are so similar. <laughs> but anyway, so similar. yeah, it was yeah. it was not too big a space, and we covered that chunk of the Indian Ocean basically. And uh, right, but it's like anyway. I'm just like honestly, anytime I see Mormon missionaries, they're so young. It's they're so even younger crazy. now. They lowered the ages, oh, so you they? can go now when you're 18 if you're a guy and 19 if you're a woman. It used to be 19 for guys, 21 for women. They had to give the women a couple years because ideally they want to marry them off and they're having kids by 21. Oh yeah, so like. Yeah. So, you you know, you can go on a mission if you've reached the old maid status right, of 21 right. or 19. No, anyway. Yeah, totally. Sorry, I get a little sarcastic. I'm trying not to be too snarky. <laughs> Any of my Mormon friends listen to this, they'll be like, what has, what has become of him? Yeah. Um, Whereas I'm like, we should be snarky about when, that. When That's I was no, in it, not okay. <laughs> when I was in it, it made sense. Like, I that didn't bother me, the age difference. It bothered me a little bit, but like, mm-hmm. not as much as it does now, where it's clearly like, Oh, that's why it is. Yeah. There's responsibilities and, you know. Yeah. I think that's changed a bit. You with can't the be married and go on it. No. No. I mean, you can be a married couple and be a missionary, but usually they're retired folks. Oh. And it's not the same. Yeah. And some of the most wonderful people I've ever met in my life were some of the, like, retired couples that, uh, sorry, your cat's rubbing against me. And I am allergic, but I took an allergy. Okay, color, good. So yeah, because, like, for some reason, she just, like, loves you. <laughs> she she does. Yeah. Uh, I talk to her. I just try to keep her at arm's length. Yeah. But anyway, some of the sweetest people I ever met were some of these couples. And it, mixed feelings in hindsight again. Like, these are retired folks. They have a million grandkids because they're more. No, not all of them, but <laughs> yeah. a lot of them do have a yeah. lot. Of, and instead of spending their retired years, yeah. you know, you, you you work a lot, no matter what you do in life, generally speaking. Spend your time with your kids, your grandkids. Yeah. Enjoy retirement. Maybe maybe go on some like service type of trips. I don't mind. Yeah. But some of them were like going constantly, constantly. until until they couldn't anymore, yeah. I'm guessing. Like some of the ones I knew were at least on their third already. And uh mm. Have been going. So if they were willing to go to African countries or at least uh, in climates that are a little more challenging, probably mm-hmm. for elderly folks, they were getting sent there repeatedly. Because I'm guessing a lot of folks yeah. were asking, oh, "Could you just send me to like Missouri or something? Yeah. Like I need more home, California or Florida." Orlando. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. There's a ton of missionaries in the U.S. A yeah. lot of the people, well, the the kids, the guys my age, when we all got sent yeah. out. They were jealous of me because a lot of them got like Alberta, yeah. Ontario, Idaho, Utah. How did you feel when you got that? It's funny. I had barely traveled. I'm a kid that grew up with very little money. I think the furthest mm-hmm. from home I'd been was Utah once. Mm-hmm. I had gone down to visit some cousins that had moved down mm-hmm. there. So I would have been fine with like Michigan or Manitoba yeah. or something. And uh, the fact that I was, that's probably why you go into the interview and they write down notes. Then they send you wherever they send mm. you. But I'm guessing whoever did the interviews with me was probably like humble kid, you know, wide-eyed, happy to go to Washington State or uh, Alberta, yeah. doesn't even want to go that far. And they're like, speaks a little French? We'll send yeah. them to Madagascar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or they speak Creole. So uh, yeah, I was excited, but scared out of my mind. Yeah. Uh, but it was a very, you know, Lord of the Rings kind of great adventure. The Hobbit kind <laughs> Well, who's excited? Is it Lord of the Rings? No, I think the Hobbit they have to drag <laughs> or yeah. build out. 
More, yeah, think of the hobbits in like Lord of the Rings at the beginning where it's like, we're going on a great adventure. This is the furthest I've ever been from home. I probably thought that line at some point as I was connecting on flights in Boston or something. Like, anyway. That, I mean, so have you seen the Book of Mormon musical? I still haven't. I've seen a lot of bits of it. And people have told me about it. I've heard it's... My life story, basically. It is your life story. It's so weird. Uh, <laughs> it's so weird. I mean, like, it is, it's not. But the, it's just the Horrib- fact that it's it's about somebody who, yeah, goes to Uganda, I think it is. Um, yeah. I've heard I would I would relate to a lot of <laughs> yeah. Elder Price or whoever it and is. And I think they talk about the the shelf like i think they talk about i don't know if they say put it in the closet or the shelf or whatever shove it down shove, shove it, down. it down yeah, yeah, that, yeah, sounds that, right. song, yeah. that sounds right yeah it's uh yeah i mean i watched it like illegally because i was trying to <laughs> don't admit that on the I internet know. sarah Ooh. uh i watched it uh with permission from god <laughs> uh because I was wait. Do you believe in God? Am I on the right podcast? Yeah, here? definitely. That's a no uh, for me. Um, but I was trying to write a musical uh, when I first lost everything in the pandemic, and um, so I was like watching uh, different musicals every day, and that's when I really wanted to watch. And yeah, it was good. But I was like, wow, this is so weird that it's so much like Paul's story now in my mind of like every mission every missionary person goes to Africa and like has to like come across all these um like yeah things that you have to put on the shelf well that's yeah that's like that's so interesting oh sorry I keep using that word it's not a great word but it literally is fascinating so I hope you and anyone who listens to this finds it interesting if you do you know, let me know or let Sarah know and she'll pass it on to yeah. help encourage me to do a podcast about all this. Yeah. You know, and I would get into all the fun stuff like Kolob, the star, oh, the, yeah. the planet God lives on rotates around and all the oh, deep, yes. deep doctrinal. Just I'd love to write a mini series for Netflix or about whoever Joseph about Smith. Joseph Smith's life. Yeah. I, I loved watching. Uh, this is a bit of a side note, but um the Waco series was it just called Waco oh, on yeah. Netflix? Anyway, the Branch Davidians, yeah, reminded me, or at least the relationship that he had with yeah. his followers and their wives, especially, yeah. and the like young women within the community. Yeah. I was like, oh my god, this is like what would happen if Joseph Smith had tried this 150 years right. later in the 90s or whatever. <laughs> So I know, if you watch the Waco series, Joseph yeah. Smith is just like that, but in like further back costumes. I wonder. I was wondering <laughs> about that specific series, like if they put uh, get put that guy in too positive a light. Like, did they give him like too much credit? Because I, I know people people are like really uh, against what the FBI did, but I'm just like, but that does not make. I, I heard a bit okay. of that. I don't think anyone in that series was made out to be a hero, except maybe the negotiator was kind yeah. of the good guy. And he's the one yeah. the FBI like tossed out, yeah. uh, you know, and that, that story I should probably watch again now in hindsight of the heightened levels of political discourse, opposition, mm-hmm. you know, conspiracy theories and everything. I feel like that character was trying to be a middleman type mm-hmm. of character within these 
it is a conspiracy theory, religious extremism, mm-hmm. uh, disobedience, distrust of the government, like all sorts of issues mm-hmm. that are very much a thing right now. Mm-hmm. And seeing that sort of middle person just getting tossed aside when we we probably do need we some need more them. folks in the middle. Yeah. I've been trying to let go of it's easy to get frustrated with people who you disagree with. I've been trying to be more understand. And I know some people know you need to stand up to them. And I'm like, I feel like there's got to be some kind of balance of standing up. And as you know, going back to the original theme, I don't know how well I've kept this on topic, no, it's but good, it's good. the shelf thing is like, if you can have a somewhat civil conversation, maybe hold your ground, but trying to understand the other person and plant some seeds, make them think about something, even if they cast it off initially, mm-hmm. it's in there. Yeah. And that, I think that's, that's, that's sort what of what a, pushed me yeah. over the, like I said, 10, 20 years that it took me to finally be like, I can't do this anymore. And like a lot of people are not born believing in anti-vax stuff. So like maybe it won't take them 20 years to, you know, unbelieve it. Some people were probably told it from very early on, but I think a lot of people have be- become pilled as they say over the over the pandemic and stuff and i do think if you're the person trying to have a conversation with somebody who is believing in conspiracy theories or things that the evidence is questionable the sources Mm -hmm. of their evidence are questionable you need to you need to do a self-inventory as much as possible am i in a place to have this conversation if you Mm -hmm. don't want to have the conversation (laughs) it's probably not gonna go well if you're feeling frustrated yeah if you're not in a place where you know you're gonna absorb some things that you think are ridiculous, poorly thought out, however you want to mm-hmm. label it. You've really got to be like wanting to have that conversation. If not, it is probably better to be like, agree to disagree, <laughs> walk yeah. away. I, I Lately, if I go on social media, I have to keep in mind, like, do not engage. Just don't engage. Whether it's a troll, whether it's, you know, an anonymous account or like a, a dear friend or family member. Yeah. Usually, I try not to engage. Yeah, and if fair. I do, I have to be in a, in a good space. Yeah. I have to remember they're trying to share something they feel is important and helpful. I need to remember that if I'm going to have that. And I, there are yeah. a lot of days where I'm not ready for that. Yeah. So and whether like, it's religion you... or conspiracy theories, you really need to have a lot of love in your heart. Uh, and compassion and empathy yeah. going into that situation because you're not going to help yourself or them. And you're so going to have that backfire that I mentioned totally. earlier where this guy was like, oh, yeah, you shouldn't believe in Joseph Smith because he talked to salamander people or yeah. whatever. He, he didn't frame it like that. But, yeah, you know, yeah. Brigham Young did this. And I'm like, he only did some of that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. Oh, this. Oh, <sighs> yeah. And I bet people love to pick out little things that like the. Yeah, the great part about religion, the great part about um, conspiracy theories is that, oh, we have a bad guy and we have a good guy. And yep. like it makes Very sense black and white in thinking. a way. Yeah. So when you're like, well, okay, but some of that's true, but some of that's not true. Like I like the people who I fight with most on the Internet, people who, who come to my page to fight uh, are the people who uh, would like to tell me that uh, pharmaceuticals, uh, psychiatric medication is poison and you know i'm like it's i'm like i don't like this world where i'm standing up for the pharmaceutical companies you know i'm like yeah "Yeah, they're bad and capitalism is bad and like there should be so much more like there's 
it's so many things need to change. And even like as my partner's like starts investing in, he's he tried to invest in like certain antidepressants and like uh, postpartum depress antidepressants and stuff. And like just seeing like, oh, well, this this one went bankrupt because the like this thing didn't the this test didn't go exactly as I was like, oh, my gosh, how can we? properly do this in capitalism like I don't understand however that doesn't mean we should just not do it and there's a hundred percent scientists out there who really care and for every like evil person who just wants to make money there's like a bunch of people who like studied their entire life uh to hopefully improve people's situation and so and like yeah so I so I don't like that I have to stand up for people who are really terrible but like I'm not standing up for them I'm just saying that there's nuance but Mm -hmm. the the nuance gets really lost I think especially when you're dealing with people who really believe like in a black and white thing and like I I never had that. So I'm wondering like what you think about that kind of black and white thinking and how you got out of the black and white thinking. Who says I'm I'm out? You. <laughs> I don't you. mean that in a positive way. Um, but like I do you know. think I just told you I was listening to a podcast literally this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Ex-Mormons and they were getting some of their doctrinal things. Right. They were talking to someone who had never been Mormon answering his questions mm-hmm. and some of their answers were in my opinion, from what I remember, doctrinally correct, mm-hmm. and it was getting me upset. And I had to stop myself and go like, how much does it matter? Part of it's because I don't want Mormons to grab that and be like, see, these people don't yeah. even know what they're talking about. But part of it is just like, there's still a degree of like black and white, like yeah. they were wrong. I was right. Yeah. My interpretation, yeah. how I would say that. Um, but no, it, it, there is so much more nuance of the world so much more gray if we're using that color scale idea yeah. um it's it's tricky and you need yeah. to be aware of where the other person is coming from when it comes to you know that type of mindset mm-hmm. because it is difficult if you're someone who believes in a nuance or you know mm-hmm. uh, some degree of like let's let's talk this out maybe mm-hmm. that might be true in certain circumstances but not in others mm-hmm. But other people don't see the world that way. So it's really, it's, again, one of those things you kind of have to keep in mind. Who is this person I'm talking to? What are their motivations? Um, Mm -hmm. If you can put anything on their shelf. And it's difficult. You don't even want to be going into the conversation with that being your goal, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Street epistemology. I don't know if you've heard anything. There's these people that, like, set up on the street and film a YouTube video or do a podcast where they just ask people what they believe. And then they ask them, like, delving questions and more and more. And they, the good ones sort of stop if they see the person sort of putting up walls or whatever. You kind of have to judge Where's this other person coming from? You have to be mm-hmm. coming from a place of pure intent and actual curiosity and not just trying to be a gotcha person. Because again, yeah. if you even give off the slightest, and I'm, I know However, I give that off a lot of times in conversations, it's not always the most effective if you've got that initial intent to, ah, ah, catch However, okay. though, I have a, a counterpoint to this, which is that sometimes you can ask people those gotcha questions and those people will shut down. But it's say you are filming it. Somebody who's watching mm-hmm, mm-hmm. could be like, wait, why didn't they answer that? And then continue 
in their brain, you know, yeah. like it could like just putting that out there. So I was just thinking of um, Carrie Poppy from Owner Ross and Carrie, my favorite uh, person. Uh, she she does these interviews with people. They're usually like people who are they're almost always people who are charging money for their services or okay. whatever. So they're like people who are or people who are like leading other people like in small sort of culty things. And she does these interviews with them where she she just like is very blunt and is like, so you said you were a nurse. I called the hospital you work, you said you worked at. They said you were not a nurse. Can you give me a school that you went to that I can call? And like, I know that's kind of like gotcha journalism, but at the same time, later, somebody phoned in. And said, like, I was, I followed that woman. And mm -hmm. when I listened mm -hmm. to that interview where she was just like, she couldn't answer anything and her story kept changing. And then she shut, she shut down on you. Like, that was like, that was so mm -hmm. something on their shelf that just made the shelf break for them. They were like, what is, like, why? Oh, I did, I never thought about finding out if this person was actually, like, if they went to a real university or like whatever. So, that's the one thing where I'm like, that seems like it could be beneficial. I, I think you're absolutely right. And again, like if it's if it's sort of more of a journalism, mm -hmm. even an independent podcast, whatever you want to mm -hmm. call um, these types of formats, mm -hmm. um, where you're with somebody who's agreed to do that and sort of mm -hmm. at least somewhat knows what they're walking to. Maybe yeah. not. The journalism side, especially if they're a leader, if yeah. they are taking advantage of other mm -hmm. people. I guess I was thinking more in the sense of like your friend, right, yeah, your yeah, brother, yeah. sister, cousin, your yeah. high school friend who's now trying to sell you doTERRA or whatever, you know, yeah. there's a degree of compassion, I guess I would take in those circumstances as opposed to if I put on my, not that I've ever been like, I am a journalist media person by trade. I've mostly done like sports, music, mm -hmm. arts, like not a lot of things where mm -hmm. you really, I guess sports you press at times. I've only ticked off a couple of yeah. NHLers with tough questions. Yeah. Uh, I usually am more of a, just give me the facts. Give me what you or, feel type uh, of. Yeah, how's it going on the ice? Oh, well, I think we're all playing as a team <laughs> and I'm really proud of it. I don't want to get you guys. I don't Given get you guys. 110%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean the type, yeah. The <laughs> yeah. company I'm working for currently more just wants, just tell me about what happened in the game. Yeah. It's not really like, tell me the truth about why you're whatever. Yeah, exactly. Shooting isn't <laughs> working yeah. the same way it did last season as far as success yeah. rates. And anyway, um, yeah, yeah, the journalist, journalism is a little different than if you're talking with, Yes. Someone who you have a personal relationship and, you know, those are probably the ones where you're more going to build on a shelf. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can like, circumstantially. I guess you could like send people stuff and be like, you could listen to this and like, they probably won't, but you could just like, you know, give them a bunch of stuff and then like maybe. So there's one interview I'm thinking of with, there's a naturopath who, um, realized that her clinic was giving illegal drugs, illegal cancer treatments. Um, and so she immediately went to a lawyer and was like, what do I do? Like I, and so she said when she was trying to figure out what was true and what wasn't, like she started with stuff that she kind of, 
she like kind of knew about it. like it was it was close to what she did but it wasn't like the stuff she did to people um because because it's overwhelming to be like oh i believe this so much that i like give gave this treatment to people that was illegal and like um potentially really harmful so she said she started out like with with a book that had different chapters and she started out with the chapter that was about something that she didn't actually practice and i wonder if like you sent people stuff like it's always in their inbox and they could be like later when they find out they're doing something illegal <laughs> they can look at it or something i don't know I mean, I try. Actually, I tried that with my friend. I don't think it worked. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he'll listen to it one day. I yeah. There, I don't think there's any perfect no method. If you're talking about yeah, adding to someone's shelf or helping someone in a situation where you think they may be hurting themselves or other people, it really is like you have to stop and mm-hmm. think about it. Think about your own motivations. Why am I doing this? Yeah. You know, because I'm stuck on tour with them. <laughs> I can't get out. I can't escape. And then, <laughs> yeah, reaching out to help from people around you, podcasts. Yeah, but you still have to sort of, if you do care about the person, mm-hmm. just do. You know, be be a good friend, be a good mm-hmm. example, practice what you preach. Yeah, except that you don't know everything. That's yeah. something I've been really trying to work on since leaving Mormonism. Is I still. It's funny. I, I'm not a confident person. I doubt myself constantly. I have like yeah, so many issues with, um, you know, imposter syndrome type of stuff. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if somebody opposes me with something that I truly think is like wrong or whatever, I can quickly build myself up in yeah. certain ways to oppose or argue that. Mm-hmm. And there are times, you know, I want to make sure, even if I'm standing up for something right, something that I know is true remember like what why do i why am i standing up for this do i really know everything i think mm-hmm. i know am i just trying to be right what are yeah. my vote because you don't want to slide into that it is a different space and that's maybe a different conversation of that's true getting into mindfulness and what's important yeah. and all these other sort of routes of spirituality i've explored that's a whole other conversation where like i was like spirituality is religion is bad and now i'm like no, I like going into the woods for hikes. Yeah. I, I am a meditator. I secular medita- meditation. Mm-hmm. Not into TM or anything, as you may have yeah, listened yeah. to Sarah's recent episodes. I mean, like those I types of, of things. I kind of don't think that one. Yeah, I mean, anyway. what's your definition of spirituality? Yeah. If, if oh, it's connectedness, yeah. if it's finding meaning and peace and joy in life, that's yeah. more sort of what I've started calling spirituality. Yeah. And some people would tell me. There's no spirits involved in that. Yeah. I, so be it. Like, I I remember all the time in therapy, like, different therapy groups I had to go to, there would be, like, a wheel. And we'd have to, like, fill out, like, be like, how much are you dedicating your time to, like, all these different things? And there was always, like, a spirituality section. And I would be, like, put nothing in. And they'd be like, so what, why is there nothing in your spirituality section? And I'm like, it's not real. <laughs> like, there's nothing because I don't have any <laughs> it's semantics i do i i think there yeah. i felt that way i don't think it's wrong to say that now i think it's like what do you attach to spirituality to like, the word yeah and then make sure you that's so important think, too when you're having yeah, yeah, any yeah. of these make sure you're speaking the same language not oh, in the sense of yeah. english not in the same words but i've talked about yeah if i start a podcast a big part will be like dissecting the oh, language yeah. of mormonism <laughs> Yeah, because well, there's a lot so of words right. that mean things to me that would not mean the same thing to you. Totally. And I think that like, um, 
oh yeah, we're totally just, <laughs> just, okay. So here's something that I'm thinking on I'm thinking. So usually when people are like trying to bring spirituality up with me and like, I don't know if I, now I feel like I should always add a disclaimer. I'm like, I totally think it's cool when people believe in spirituality. I just can't. I just can't. And it's really hard to make yourself believe something. And that's like, I don't know, maybe another episode. I just can't. So um, it's cool. And then there's the side of like, it's also cool to question, like, yeah. what are you believing? What is it doing what? for me? What could it be hurting me or, yeah. or other people? And my one friend said to me, he was like, I think that like, you know, it's cool if you don't believe in anything as long as like, you have like an I you're like maybe you're leaving like a maybe there's something in the universe as long as you just kind of like understand that like there's energy and something and I was a like, real agnostic a I, true agnostic. yeah and I was like well I'm like 99% sure that the universe doesn't care about anything and like I think I'm one of those people you're talking he's like I I like I like you know I I'm okay with people who are yeah like pretty agnostic la 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 and then i was like oh i think i'm one of the people you don't like yeah which is why sometimes i just have to stop talking but um i i've yeah. been describing myself and i've taken some flack from people as like a agnostic atheist because i think i definitely lean i don't have reason to believe mm -hmm. in an afterlife creator type of stuff like that right now i don't have evidence yeah. i'm open to it Oh if God, it would be great. It would be so I, awesome. I've said, yeah, I would love for maybe not like exactly how Mormonism taught an afterlife, yeah. to be, but if there was an afterlife right. where we could all be together and live yeah. forever and the see each boys other. Were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you watch that movie? <laughs> no. No. Oh, it's called This is the End and they go to heaven in the end and it's a Backstreet Boys I concert. think I saw some of it. I don't know if I saw, maybe um, I really it was like a while it. ago. I really like it. And like if that fluffy version of heaven with a backstreet boys concert that's the seth rogan yeah yeah seth i vaguely rogan remember and seeing Jay and, yeah <laughs> and everyone's playing themselves yeah yeah no like i would love for that to be true mm -hmm. i am open to it but i also think it would take a lot because i also understand like part of my spirituality uh movie series would be mm -hmm. exploring like a guy like joseph smith would be how much is made up? How much is it like you sort of believe? How much are you building a story? How much could be attributed to just like being in a space where uh, you aren't as critical a thinker where you start going, well, I had this dream. Mm -hmm. That's a vision, right? Or, you know, and it could be like a combination of being simultaneously like yeah. too believing of dreams, ideas, whatever, yeah. convincing yourself of things and being a bit of a charlatan. Like uh -huh. they're not exclusive. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But within spirituality, you always have to be asking yourself, what might that have been? Yeah, why? Um, What's going on? So on either side mm -hmm. of that, I try to keep an open mind, but I don't have any reason right now to cling on to anyone mm -hmm. teaching a personal understanding of the universe. I okay. So, but like I've I've said that I'm an agnostic atheist at parties and had people blow. That's not a thing. You have to be one or the other. Again, black and white thinking. Yeah. Even when it comes hey, to I that, I can type do whatever I want. I think I say that I'm a, I'm like an atheist humanist or something like that. Yeah, and labels yeah. are la like we don't even whatever. need labels. Doesn't That's matter. just me trying to explain to people where I met without oh, taking yeah. that ten minutes. To Sometimes I have it. to say I'm a super atheist just so I can just shut down all the conversation. Like just just so you know, like just maybe don't talk about 
anything or like that yeah you. when i try to you can get into all the nuts and bolts and sometimes that's fun of like doctrines of religions but if you, they're trying to convince you of something, you have to take it all the way back. Like, yeah, yeah. If because they're not going to convince you of anything if you struggle with spiritual texts, if you struggle with a belief in a creator. Yeah. Uh, then yeah. You, if you are ready to have a conversation or dare I say a debate, you need to start with those because it's no use to go further down the road. Which when I is, hear yeah. Bill Nye arguing with uh, not I love Bill Nye, but yeah. Bill Nye arguing with uh, that American guy who built the Ark. <laughs> Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like well, we, you're you disagree on bickering like, very about things way down the road. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's a big thing that like so, so that's why I think um, Mormons often go for Christian people because that like, you already if you already have like a belief in foundation some of this stuff. Whereas like if they they don't like me because I'm like I'm by the way I love to talk to Mormon missionaries and they don't. Like, they don't really like me because I'm, like, clearly not a good person who's going to convert. And if it's anything like it was when I was a Mormon missionary, it's very much like you only invest your time in people you see, like, getting baptized. Even if they invite you in, if you don't see it, like, progressing fast enough, you cut them off. Like, they are no longer your friends. You don't stop by and say hi to them I just like to ask questions, but then I'm like, yeah, I'm like, oh, no, I'm not I try to... they, They are... Again, this you know goes back to like, are we talking to a leader? Are we talking to someone with influence? Are we talking to a friend, family member, whatever? Mormon missionaries and Mormons in general, I try to remember, they are a piece of a system. Mm-hmm. If there are victims in that system, or at least the people sort of most vulnerable, mm-hmm. it is the missionary workforce oh and the membership. Yeah. They're not benefiting usually greatly no. from it they're not the ones collecting no. a salary even though they don't call it a salary because they like to say no 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 one in our church gets paid they get six figures at the top they of the church of a stipend or, or yeah, whatever right, just right, to right, get right. by um anyway yeah. but like i try to be kind i haven't run into mormon missionaries a lot lately but the last time i did yeah i don't know if i were i didn't do anything too bad but i quoted a very specific piece of like mormon deep doctrine without telling them i was <laughs> So they're basically like talking about whatever the entry point of the conversation was like, Hey, what do you believe in God? And how do you feel about this or whatever? And a friend showed up, a friend who had actually done lessons with the Mormon missionaries because he was dating a friend of mine who was Mormon. He was trying to get him to join them. So, but like, I'm like, I got to go. We're going to go. He's from out of town, go have dinner or whatever. But I turned to the missionary and I said, you're doing great stuff, but uh, I once was as you are now and you one day will be <laughs> as I am today or something like That's that. That's so scary. Where some old Mormon prophet had taught that about God, where God once was as we are now and we one day will become as God is. Uh, because Mormons believe, you know, we yeah. are literally the offspring of God, not just the creation. We are like the children yeah. who will one day grow potentially to become like God. Yeah. If you're a man, anyway. Yeah, I was gonna say if you're like a white deep man. doctrine. Or, or now, 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 any man I can guess. do it. Any man. But you know, women can, yeah. you know, be the assistant. Oh yeah. Oh, gosh. oh my god. Yeah. Oh, that that the polygamy thing is polygamy. Just like, they just changed a lot of the language in the temple to be slightly less sexist. So that's good. Simultaneously, thumbs up, but also, I you know feel yeah. for the people who grew up in the not as progressive language until the last couple years i mean so yeah there's so much we're gonna have to do so many episodes i don't even you could cut this down into (laughs) how long have we been talking an hour and a bit yeah 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 yeah. 
I'll cut. What did you want? 30 minutes? (laughs) No, I like my podcast to be three hours. Just kidding, but actually not kidding. I do listen I mean, to three hour podcasts. I listen to Mormon stories as like the big ex Mormon oh, yeah. one and he he's cut it down, but he literally has done like multi part twelve hour interviews. Yeah. And I and I listen to them. Some of them are it. really good. I'm so. alone a lot. So I, I just put podcasts yeah. on. I, I'm not like a Mormon story. St- There's some people that love it. There's some people that hate that show, even in the ex-Mormon community. Mm-hmm. But some of the interviews, some of the people he's had have such interest. Mirsa Baradaran, if you get her story. Mm-hmm. Iranian, mm-hmm. Uh, left Iran to move to the States when she was young. And her mom and her sisters all joined the Mormon church. So to get the story of like being like an Iranian immigrant. And I actually grew up in North End and there were some families who moved and, you know, I think they had Christian roots, but like, okay, we're fresh in Canada. Let's go to a congregation. And they wind up in Mormonism, which is not what they were expecting. Oh, and, yeah, no. You know, there's the issue of, you know, language, cultural barriers. And anyway, so her story and some of the others are fascinating. Mm-hmm. And they're like six hours long. Yeah, but so that's totally... she really lets you know what it's like to be in that scenario and something I would have never otherwise understood. And that's why I haven't, I'm not like, let's do an episode where Paul says everything that he thinks about Mormonism because it's so much. And My like, head just exploded over the last hour. Yeah. I'm sorry I didn't keep it more no, 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 no. in line. It's but... okay because I, 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 I'm excited that we have so much to talk about and like it's great. It's great because um, because I'm glad that you're here because you also are like way more. Uh, I feel like I'm a little bit more like screw that, and you're like, well, it's good to be there. <laughs> I've gone through phases. I, yeah. I I still some people would argue maybe I'm a more angrier person at times about certain things within, but I feel like I'm moving out of the frustration anger phase of like i was lied to it was misrepresented to me i gave yeah. so much of my life who's to say better or worse but how different my life might have been yeah. had i not been oh, so dedicated and pumped you know i got out still relatively young i still pumped thousands of dollars of my own earnings at a young age when oh, yeah. it would have made a difference into this organization and no. in the end to sort of circle back to the shelf thing, people think it's going to be some big thing that got me to leave. Yeah. And in the church, they always teach you like they they'll get offended or something. It was it was honestly like I got tired. Yeah. Of, the shelf broke and I didn't want to pick everything back up yeah. again. I couldn't. I got to the end of a calendar year where I simultaneously the way I did my tithing was at the end of the year. I mm-hmm. just pay it all off. I had a savings account. I do the math. I did some freelance work, so I didn't want to do it throughout the year like other people do. I knew I had a, to pump in, you know, mm-hmm. thousands of dollars at the end of the year. Not that I make a ton of money, but yeah, well. a decent amount of money, 10% of my income. Mm-hmm. And I also had to do another one of those interviews to get my card to go into the temple. And but I, every year? I think oh. by that point, they changed every other year, every two years. Mm-hmm. But for a long time, it was every year. It's like a pap smear. <laughs> Exactly. They've just changed the it to be a bit like, <laughs> Um But you yeah. have to go in and you answer the same list of questions with two levels of Mormon leadership. Oh, and you, they're going to ask you. And I didn't. Th- people was, oh, he started drinking or he was having sex. It's like, I honestly didn't even start drinking coffee until a while after. year and a half, two yeah, years yeah. after I'd left. I think I drank alcohol before I drank coffee. Yeah. But even then it was like 
very little amounts and I was very cautious and like so scared yeah. of it because it had been vilified for so long in my life. But anyway, what I could answer those questions for a couple of years after leaving. Yeah. I still followed the rules. But the questions like, do you believe yeah. in the leadership of the church? Yeah. Or like representatives, you know, proxies for Jesus Christ himself. No. That's Do you believe Joseph Smith was the prophet of restoration? No. Do you believe in God? Yeah. Kind of at that point. Yeah, yeah. So that's. I like, didn't want to sit down and answer those no. questions. And then it also gives them control to potentially suspend you somewhat in your rights or full out kick you out. And even after I left, suddenly didn't tell anyone. No one knew I was gone because I was kind of going between a couple congregations at the time. Mm. They assumed I was at the other. But yeah. I, I resigned. I sent paperwork in through a law agency in the States oh, wow. who act as a middle person because it's tough. I still think they keep you on the tally when they announce membership. Yeah. But to get my name removed, renounce my yeah. priesthood and my baptism. Because yeah. I felt sick that, yeah. that A, that I was attached to that organization, that I was learning things I really didn't feel comfortable with. But I also didn't want to give them the power to potentially excommunicate me. Even if I didn't show yeah. up for the meeting, then they can turn around to my friends and family and be like, he's excommunicated. doesn't mean you have to shun him. But uh, but he like, is a true son of perdition. Yeah, he, The devil's got a hold on him. I left on my own. I like to tell people it wasn't that I couldn't live up to the standards of the church. The church couldn't live up to my standards. And that sounds a little cocky. No, that's awesome. I love that. I love it. I love but it. I love it. The standards that in many ways, the church and the people in the church taught me that I should hold myself and other people yep. to the organization, the leadership didn't, no. didn't hold themselves to that. And it's not that I would never forgive somebody, but they weren't trying to be forgiven. Or no, apologize. they weren't like, they're not apologizing. Yeah, that's yes. <laughs> I can't Thank remember. you so much, Paul. Um, listeners, let me know if you have any have any questions for Paul or for myself. If you have any requests, um, follow me online at sarah.jickling on Instagram and get Will Sooner Pod on Instagram. And you can send me your weird ads that you get. Um, if you get any weird sort of ads for, you know, dealing with life uh basically if, if people are trying to take your money in exchange for weird devices that are supposed to make you feel okay about the insane world we're living in i want to know about it so you can send me that and until next time um uh listen <laughs> Like and subscribe, that's not, no, that's YouTube. Okay, well, whatever. I'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Now I am a cautionary tale. I need to be under supervision.